Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and I'm very very pleased today to have on the show Evan Thomas, the uh, author of Road to Surrender, Three Men and the Countdown to the End of World War II, the the kind of the gripping narrative history uh, of the decision to drop the two atomic bombs on, on Hiroshima and you'll know that this isn't the first time that we've kind of really engaged with the uh, the difficulties and the details uh, of, of that historical moment. Um, so without further ado uh, I'm going to welcome Evan to the show. You'll find out a fascinating conversation about military and strategic decision making, the shortcomings and limitations of air power uh, and the the uh, almost sometimes impossible choices that are foisted on leaders during war. Okay, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And I'm very pleased to be joined by author Evan Thomas today, whose book Road to Surrender looks at the the period of time before the dropping of the atomic bombs um, and the... um, the careers of Carl Spatz, Henry Stimson, sorry, um, and um, Togo, the Japanese foreign minister, uh, and their, their their interact their their part in the, the kind of the the, the the countdown to the the dropping of the bombs. Um, so, firstly, um, Evan, welcome to the podcast. Um, and uh, I thought we could begin by talking a little bit about the the kind of the process of of, of writing and researching the the books. Where did your interest in the uh, in this period begin? A couple uh, of places. Oh. I've always wondered, as a lot of Americans wonder, did we really need to drop the bomb, and did we need to drop two of them? And mightn't there have been some way to do a demonstration? 
Uh, so I, I, I've always wondered about that. I, I also had a personal connection. My father was a junior officer on a landing ship tank, a, a landing ship that was had been in Europe, actually D-Day, and was headed to the Pacific for the invasion of Japan. So the myth in my family had always been my sisters and I that we were we were alive because of the atom atom bomb. I don't think that's actually true, as we can get into, but uh, but you know it's one of these myths that a lot of people carry. Mm-hmm. So I had these questions, and I I was looking for a way to now. There's a lot of people have have written about this, mm-hmm. so the 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 trick for somebody like me is to find a, you know a way to do that, and I like to do it through characters, mm-hmm. so you can relate to them. So that mm-hmm. they're, I I care about the human dimension here, and I particularly care about this is going to sound ponderous, but moral ambiguity. Uh, people who have to struggle with difficult questions. Wartime presents us all, you know, lot, yeah. lots of examples of wartime. And so I was looking for characters who were struggling with this. And I also I also wanted to tell the Japanese side mm-hmm. because yeah. my wife and I had been to Japan for an earlier book about the Battle of Leyte Golf and fascinated mm-hmm. by the Japanese, Japanese culture. So I ended up with three characters after a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. They are... The American uh, War Secretary Henry Stimson was kind of the chairman of the board of the atom bomb. He, mm-hmm. he ran the project, and it was really more involved in it than any president, FDR or Truman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also wanted to have a, a somebody on the line, so to speak, an operator, and that was uh, General Tui Spots is, is his name, Carl Tui Spots. He had done all of the strategic bombing of Europe. So mm-hmm. he had a lot of experience killing civilians. Yes. He was obsessed with this whole business of killing civilians, a, a terrible and necessary thing in World War II. And he had done more of it than anybody. Mm-hmm. And he's the guy who was given the order to drop the atom bomb. He didn't, he didn't want to do it. He tried to resist, but he did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are my American characters. And on the Japanese side, the hero, and really the hero of the book, is this fellow Shigenori Togo. And he's the hero because he's the only one yeah. at the top of the Japanese government who wanted to surrender. The rest of them wanted to fight to the bitter, bitter end. Togo, mm-hmm. through persistence and wisdom and actually finally bringing the emperor around, making the emperor realize, got to surrender here. Uh, he's he's the hero. Yeah. So those are my characters. There was a, an essay written um, about... Well, probably longer ago now. I always say about two years ago, and it turns out to be about ten. Um, by this incredible British historian called Jeffrey Wheatcroft, and if you ever get, ever get to read any of his books, they're really, really phenomenal. And he talked about this idea of the myth of the good war. He said, you know, in popular imagination, World War One sort of like the bad war because it was mud and trenches, but World War Two is like the wonderful war because you have the evil guys, you know, and 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 the good guys, and it's a, a, a and it's a war of movement. And he said, well. Compared to World War One, World War Two is almost exclusively fought against civilians. I think if you look at the stats for civilians yeah. to soldiers who died, it's 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 something like about eighty percent of all casualties yeah. of civilians. Yeah. Um, and he said, and also um, the good guys do an awful lot of civilian killing. Um, you look at the um, British carpet bombing of uh, Germany and, and American as well, um, yeah. and. 
um, Carl Spatz uh, and um, in, in Britain, Sir Arthur Bomber Harris have a, a similar philosophy that you can grind down the enemy through civilian deaths. Let me pick an argument here for a second here. I, I don't think Bomber Harris and Spots were exactly the same because no. uh, ha- Harris was pretty open about it. Yeah. Yeah, he he was pretty unapologetic about it. We're gonna we're gonna you know bomb those cities. The Americans were much more ambivalent, and you could say hypocritical, mm-hmm. dishonest about it. They talked about precision bombing. Yeah, and, and which was a failure. They they couldn't do it mm-hmm. because of, for technical reasons because the Germans were shooting back. And Spots is sort of caught in the middle. He's never he's not he's a different type than Harris was. You know, it's too strong to say he was boastful about it, but he didn't make any bones about it. No. Spots was, meh, you know, he didn't like to admit that they were killing civilians. Yeah. It bothered him. Late at night, he would wake up and he wrote his wife full of doubts about what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, you know, he always referred to it as precision bombing. He did little things to try to, this is, I thought, a very revealing. Uh, when it came time to bomb France, you know, we've been bombing Germany. It came time to bomb France for the D-Day invasions. Mm. So I put out orders, no more radar bombing, uh, which was inaccurate, uh, only visual bombing, because he was trying to save French civilians. He yes. distinguished German civilians and French civilians, mm-hmm. kind of for obvious reasons, but it shows you how it nagged at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they they probably did kill fewer French civilians than they would have killed otherwise, but they still killed a hell of a lot of French civilians. Bombing was inaccurate. I think think by the the time the battle for Normandy was over, there was something like about 25,000 French civilians who who, who died, something in that order. Yeah. Um, There was a, um, I guess by long before you dropped the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, um, American uh, American bombing of Japan had done kind of equivalent levels of damage to a huge number of Japanese cities anyway. Yeah. Um, I think it was McNamara was part of the kind of the, the industrial yeah. planning of, of, of destruction. Um, so obviously, you know, the, 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 the dropping of the two bombs is a kind of um, a, a sort of a, an extraordinary standout moment in in in, uh, in in the history of warfare, but it's not it's not as if there hadn't been a kind of like a, a long process of this anyway. Yeah, <laughs> this is a very difficult subject, and this is one reason why I wrote the book hmm. uh, because you know you think you know this is the big bang at the end. We use these horrible weapons. Well, as I'm sure actually a lot of your listeners know, we kill more people in Tokyo. On the night of March 10th, with incendiaries firebombing, then we killed in Hiroshima mm-hmm. on on August 6th. Hundred, uh, the numbers move around, but a hundred thousand roughly in Tokyo because we burned 16 square miles in March, and then about 70,000 quickly. Another many more later, but but quickly with the flash. Of the of the atomic bomb over Hiroshima on August sixth, so we were already in the business of burning people alive uh, long before we did it with an atom bomb. But again, it's a very murky record on why mm-hmm. and deciding this. And without getting too far into the weeds here, and because a lot of your listeners probably already know this story, 
we tried to do precision bombing in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with B-29s, 30,000 feet. And we discovered that there was something called the jet stream. Mm-hmm. Blew the bombers away. We, we, we missed. Uh, and we, if the, our first general, Hansel, he got fired because he couldn't hit anything. Mm-hmm. And we brought LeMay. He tries to. Curtis LeMay, the famous Curtis LeMay. He tries precision bombing. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So he comes up with this idea of flying in at night low using incendiaries now again incendiaries weren't invented by curtis lemay we had burned dresden in february and 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 germany uh you know just a, a couple months before uh they, they the incendiaries were getting better technology was improving we discovered something called napalm mm-hmm. and so this worked the the incendiaries worked on because there was a, created a firestorm mm-hmm. and now, okay, were people shocked and horrified by that? No. The headlines say, oh, huge fires, you know, populated area. But it's not like the American people rose up and said, how dare you? You know, how can we be doing this? They wanted to get the war over with. They looked the other way. And 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 my hero, Henry Simpson, the Secretary of War, he's bothered by it. And he thinks <laughs> it's a promise from his assistant, we're going to stop this. But the promise is not kept. No. The the generals do it anyways, really because they had no other way. Uh, they wanted to show that an air force could could wreck destruction and end the war, and only those fire, only the firebombs work. So Lemay was given a license to burn sixty cities. But there's never there's never a clear policy debate. The president of the United States doesn't go, huh? Let's let's firebomb. Japan, that's not the way it works. It's that presidents are presented with strategic pictures normally, um, and they are given the task of choosing between the bad and the worse option. Um, I think that there's an awful lot discussed about the the projections for what um, a the the, the numbers of US casualties, numbers of Japanese casualties. Uh, if there had been a, um, an all-out amphibious invasion, um, I think the, the 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 figures projected are, uh, I think, in perhaps the millions for U.S. soldiers and the tens of millions for Japanese civilians. What do you what do you make of that? Does that does your research suggest that that, that those projections were were valid or that they had a, a job in influencing Truman's decision making? Uh, this is another messy subject. Uh, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds here, but uh, they have a meeting on June 18th to discuss the invasion of Japan. And Truman, the president's worried it's going to be a bloodbath. Why? Because Iwo Jima was a bloodbath. That cost us 7,000, mostly Marines. Okinawa <laughs> was a bloodbath, was being a bloodbath. That cost us about 12,000. And of course, they think it's going to be Iwo Jima and Okinawa on steroids, you know, mm. times X. But the military doesn't want to scare Truman too much, so they lowball the numbers. And the sainted General Marshall, our really wonderful Army Chief of Staff, basically signals MacArthur, hey, send in, cook, cook the books here. Send lowball the numbers. And so the number presented to Truman is 31,000 American deaths, I think it is, not casualties, in the first month. That's a lowball number. Other numbers are more like 100,000, 200,000, 500,000. Who the hell knows? It's going to be, a, but, but it's, we do know that by by August, we know 
that the Japanese have one million soldiers down there on the tip of Kyushu, our, our landing beaches. They have 7,000 kamikazes, kamikaze planes, all sorts of kamikaze swimmers and fragment. I mean, it's going to be, they, they, know, they know it's going to be such a bloodbath, and this is not well understood by people. By August, just about the time of the atom bomb, the Navy and the Air Force are pulling out of the invasion plan. They're saying, we don't want to do it. Mm. The, the, Navy, the Navy chief of staff, Admiral King, he's, he doesn't want to do an invasion. He, he wants to just do a blockade. You know, services like to do what they do best. The Navy wants to blockade. The Air Force wants to bomb. It's only the Army that wants to invade. Mm. General MacArthur, he wants to invade because that's going to be his invasion, biggest invasion in history. Army, you know, you got to have boots on the ground. It's every every service has its own you know, understandably, its own ideology. Hmm. But by the time we dropped the atom bombs, two of the three services were against an invasion because it was going to be too bloody. They rather they were going to their plan was to burn and starve the Japanese to death with conventional bombing and a blockade. And I, my own guess is, if we hadn't used those atom bombs, hmm. we would never have invaded. That's why I don't think my father would have died. No. And we would have starved the Japanese. So that by say Christmas, millions of deaths from famine. Yeah, well, the I mean the original when you go back to the late nineteen thirties, uh, as uh, the British begin to perceive that Japan is a strategic threat to the British Empire, um, the plan was to use Singapore as the naval base to send the Royal Navy to do basically the same thing. The, the British had learned that you could they essentially blockaded Germany into collapse. Uh, from 1916 to 1918, and this is, this is a very effective strategy. And the, the idea was always to to star out the Japanese home islands. So um, uh, it, it makes sense that kind of uh, American planners probably said, "Well, yeah, that that would uh, that would work." But let's let's talk a bit about the Japanese side now. So to those who probably uh, very few people know about this character Togo. Uh, to, um, perhaps you could tell us a bit about him. He's uh, he's an unlikely hero. Uh, he's a doer figure. Uh, he's the foreign minister, and he's the only guy who's not in a uniform. Uh, Japan is run by something called the Supreme War Council, six people. The war minister, army chiefs of staff, Navy, Navy minister, prime minister, all in uniform, all military. Togo's the one civilian. He is uh, classically educated. He loved German philosophy. Uh, he hated Nazis, but he loved Goethe and Schiller. Uh, he's very dour. He's not a barrel of laughs. Uh, even his own friends found him to be charmless. Uh, but he's the one guy who sees that there's a suicide that we're committing here, and we got to find a way to end the war. Uh, it's hard for him because anybody, the word surrender is forbidden in the Japanese government. Mm -hmm. they, you can't do, you can't say that. That's dishonorable. And they mean it. The, the lower level colonels and majors, they they threaten to assassinate people who talk that way. And that's not an idle threat. In the Japan in the 1930s, three prime ministers are assassinated mm -hmm. by the hotheads. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're around. Uh, in fact, the, the, in the climax of my story is there's a coup plot. I mean, even yeah. even after they do persuade, even yeah. after Togo persuades the emperor to and surrender, it's, it's the middle-ranking guys that carry it out, isn't it? It's not 
generals that um, try to kind of quote unquote liberate the the emperor. It's it, it's uh, colonels. Yeah. yeah, the colonels. They're scared. The generals are scared of the colonels. Uh, one thing Togo does to sort of inch this process along, he gets a war council to meet secretly without their staff, mm. colonels and majors, so that so that they can't be assassinated. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and, the, and the, the assassins are serious. They, uh, uh, as I say, the drama is that even after the emperor decides, uh, these colonels stage a, a coup attempt. They, they, they murder the head of the imperial guard and his assistant. They chop his head off and they forge orders that allow them to take control of the soldiers in the palace, mm-hmm. running through the palace. What are they looking for? The emperor has recorded his surrender speech to be played to the nation at noon the next day. So the soldiers are running through the palace trying to find that record to break it, to smash it. They can't find it because it's hidden in a room reserved for ladies in waiting to the empress. I mean, it's like out of an opera. Uh, they And they, they can't find it. Finally, the colonel leading the whole thing, he goes out and shoots himself in the courtyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the coup ends. But and you could say it was sort of a half-assed coup. Uh, you know, it, it did end. But there they are, you know, running through the palace. The emperor is hiding in his in his bedroom. Mm. And in their view, Japan was... Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Heading towards one or other kinds of extinction. The kind of extinction where... You know, foreigners set foot on Japanese soil, and Japan Japan loses its kind of um, it, it, its place as a, a sort of um, a kind of um, ethnically pure state that had existed since um, you know had, had been kind of in, in isolation for uh, for, for ages. Yeah, and it, and it or it's heading towards kind of uh, um, you know uh, going down in a blaze of glory, and it's the um, the officer class to say, well, we'll we'll go with blaze of glory. Um, I think 
it's not. It's, it is crazy as we tell the story, and I, 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 I sort of like the lurid operatic aspect of it. It's not crazy in this sense. What do they really want? What they really want, they know they've lost. Their, their fleet is sunk. Their cities are burned. They, they've lost. But what they want is no American occupation. Yeah. And no war crimes trials. And they want to keep their emperor. And they think not unreasonably that if they force us to invade, they can bleed us. There's a there's a Japanese word for the strategy, shuketsu, I think it is. They can, I probably mispronounced that. But they can bleed us until we give up and say, okay, 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 okay. You can. We won't occupy you, hmm. and you can keep your emperor. No war crime. That's so. That's that's not nuts, because no. uh, they we might have sued for peace after we lost a hundred thousand soldiers, you know, and we're still stuck in southern Kyushu. Totally plausible scenario. We might have said, okay, you can keep your damn emperor and have your country. Uh, that what change? What changes the equation? The atom bombs. Well, two things. One is the Russians invade. Manchuria, mm-hmm. and Russians will invade Japan if they can. The only reason why the Russians don't invade Japan is that we have all the ships. The Russians yeah. don't have ships. But 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 the big thing are the bombs. Yeah, and that's there's no answer to those bombs, and they don't know how many we have. Mm-hmm. Clearly, we have two. As it, in in fact, we had a third that was being readied for delivery. And and this is most people don't know this, but President Truman tells the British Embassy on the 14th of August that he has quote sadly decided to drop a third bomb on Tokyo. Now that's four hours before he learns the Japanese have surrendered, so Tokyo is spared. But that third bomb would have been ready about August 20th, about five days later. Yeah. Um. So I mean, in some accounts. Um, the, the the idea is that the threat of of Stalin is is, is the game changer, but you say pr- probably not so much because they would have had a, you know the, the, the Soviets are not able to uh, to cross the sea to invade. These hypotheticals. There's a, uh, a scholar named Hasegawa who wrote a book called uh, "Racing the Bomb." Uh, who argues that the decisive factor is Japan is excuse me Russia's entry in the war? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think the evidence supports that. He you know he's a very serious scholar and he certainly makes a good case. But my own reading, uh, I'm more in line with some other scholars. I'm you know I'm not a scholar. I'm a journalist. I'm I'm I'm, I'm I live off of other scholars who who are deeper into this stuff. But my take on this is the evidence suggests that the bombs were more important than the Russian invasion. And a big reason is the Russians didn't have ships. We yeah. had them. And at, because at Yalta, one of the, I mean, one theory that's been presented was the conversation between Roosevelt and Stalin at Yalta that Stalin would enter the war once Germany had been defeated was on this kind of calculation that the America didn't quite have the manpower in the East um, in, or, in order to um, finally defeat Japan. I mean, do, do you make does, does that sort of make a sense, do you think? Well, I, uh, certainly our military wanted the Russians to declare war. This was part of the, as you say, Yalta, they made an understanding, the Russians who had had a neutrality pact with Japan. Mm-hmm. That the pact would end, and the Russians, uh, within uh, I think it was within six months 
of of Germany's surrender. Mm-hmm. The Russians would come in on the side of the Allies, and because they were an ally, and and uh, attack or declare war, certainly on Japan. So uh, we wanted Russia in. Now by midsummer, we were starting to change our mind. Mm. We didn't want Russia in. Uh, we wanted Russia out. Mm. Uh, this is sort of early Cold War days. We're not trusting trusting Stalin. He's gobbling up Poland and Eastern Europe. And so the equation is changing yeah. here. Uh, but uh, we also realize as a practical matter, we don't really need the Russians. We've got atom bombs and we have an invasion force that is, if we have to invade, probably adequate to the task. So the the equation changes by August. It's a different picture. Mm-hmm. And there there is this sea change in national opinion, um, not just in Washington, but in and you know across the USA from a relatively not necessarily friendly but relatively cordial approach to um, the Soviet Union that had existed during the war to in in the last six months of the war this really kind of um fundamental change probably from about the um the the um destruction of warsaw onwards as the the um uh, american diplomats reported uh back uh that the red army had just sat there and let the wehrmacht get on with it um at about that moment so um so national attitudes were were, were changing rapidly um when when you look at the um, the idea, or I mean, again, you get into some very very complex territory about uh, uh, about war crimes and the necessity of war crimes. You you started the, looking at this, questioning whether the bomb was necessary, and from all of that, what what have you concluded? Uh, I think, uh, yes, I think the bomb was necessary. I say that you know this is the problem with the wars. You make these horrible moral choices, and because the bombs killed two hundred thousand people, these numbers move around; they're a little imprecise, but something like two hundred thousand people—that's an awful lot of people—and the vast majority were civilian. Hmm. So there's nothing good about that. But the alternative was either an invasion of Japan, in which my father and a lot of other people would have died. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people would have died on the American side plus all the Japanese we would have killed, or, and I think this is more likely, uh, a, a blockade of Japan that would have cost in the millions of lives. Of they have, J- J- Japan, Japanese were eating acorns by yeah. the summer of 1945. They had the worst rice crop in years. And we had figured out, our technology had finally improved so that we had figured out how to bomb rail lines. Our precision bombing now is actually starting to work and uh, we could probably disrupted the flow of rice to the Kanto plain, the plain around Tokyo, where about 70% of Japan lives on that plain. Mm-hmm. And we would have been able to starve them. We had something called Operation Starvation, which was mines that we placed around. That's a little bleak term, but that shows you where our heads were. Mm-hmm. We actually pulled back. Well, there was some discussion of using chemicals to kill their crops, but we we pulled back from that as being too bloody minded, and also also we thought it would make the population of Japan too resentful. Mm. These are the sort of moral calculuses that get made. They're they're ugly. 
even the people making them don't like them. No, they don't. They we didn't do scholars talk about terror bombing. That, that, that's not what the Air Force talked about. They right. didn't do terror bombing. They, they 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 said we're bombing economic targets. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and the it, it's you know part of a, a bigger picture of um, the you know kind of air warfare um, and and uh, what Richard Overy calls it you know, the bombing war um, that is uh, that raises um, the, these kind of complex moral moral debates um, uh, and of of course you know you you from the start of the Second World War through to 1945 you see this as you say this was revolution in aviation technology and people trying new things throughout the conflict. Well, they are, you know, initially the hope at the beginning of the war is that they can end the war quickly with technology. You know, the the, the so-called bomber mafia in the United States, the pioneers of the Air Force, Mm. they thought that they could, you know, that 19 bombs could, put New York out of business, you bomb the power station, you bomb the bridge. Well, that's all great on, in theory. Mm. It didn't work. The British tried precision bombing at the very beginning. It didn't work. No. The reason why Bomber Harris chose to do area bombing mm-hmm. was because the alternative didn't work. They, what finally did work pretty well was making a big fire X in the middle of a city with these uh, Pathfinder I think they were called Pathfinders, and then dropped the bombs on the X at night. The British did it at night, and yeah. it was area bombing. It was this horrible word they used: dehousing, dehousing yeah. the German population. Remember that? So is that when is that word a cynical word? Is it a sarcastic word? Is it a uh, is it a bloodless word? You tell me. Uh, it's kind of a it's this creepy word though. The there's a great book. Um by historian David Reynolds called The Long Shadow. And he talks about Roosevelt in that. And um, he says that you know, the long shadow of the First World War was avoiding land wars that get bogged yeah. down. Yeah. And one of the re- one of the ways you it was thought you could do that was through air power. And yeah. Roosevelt in, I think, 1936, I think it's 36 is the year the B-17 was, the first B-17 was built. Yeah. 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 He, he basically said, you know, if we build 20,000 of these, and give them to whoever Hitler is fighting. Um, sell them, lend them, doesn't really matter. And Americans don't have to fight wars. We can just make these things, these amazing, powerful machines. Yeah. And then you just you just bomb bomb Hitler into submission. And yeah, then the you don't have a war with him. That was that was precisely the hope. Uh and you know, it, it looks good on paper. You know, if you're bombing Kansas on a sunny day without any wind, the Norden bomb site works. But if you're over Germany and it's cloudy and, and the Luftwaffe is shooting at you and there's flak in the air, it doesn't work. No. And so the, the British being practical said, we're not even going to try. We're, yeah. we're just going we're to bomb at night and, you know, create these fiery X's or pathfinders and all that. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and it, it part there was a big debate over morale. Could we break German morale by killing civilians? The answer was no. no. We learned it didn't really work. There's yeah. a big debate about whether strategic bombing worked at all uh, yeah. in, in, in Germany. I think there's the evidence is mixed on that. Very mixed indeed. Very mixed indeed. Well, there there we must fish. Now, just a, a bit about the books. We always like to give these things a little bit of, of promotion. 
Um, is it currently available, or are we awaiting publication? No, it's it's available. In Britain. It's available in Britain and, and in the United States. You can okay. go on. Uh, it it uh, my 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 pitch here is that this book moves right along. It's a not a turgid book at all. Yeah, uh, it, you know, it's 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 as thorough as I can make it, and you can spend a lot of time in the footnotes. Uh, and so I, I I think it's a scholarly book, but it is written to be read. And it is, I'm pretty sure your readers will find it is a fast moving and it's dramatic, a really kind of unbelievably dramatic book as it gets uh, towards towards the end. Uh, I, I, one of my best blurbs from a guy named Philbrook, who wrote a book called Heart of the Sea, said, I, I dare you not to read this book in a single setting. Single <laughs> setting. Uh, there it's you go. really short. It's about 235 pages, which is about half my usual book length. Yeah. Uh, because and I wrote it in the in the in the present tense, yeah, uh, urgent. So that's 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 my pitch: is you won't be bored. Fantastic. Well, um, I'll put a link in the in the show notes. And um, remember, folks, if you are going to get a copy, see if you can get it from an independent retailer. Those guys really need your help. Um, and Amazon's got enough money already. Thank you so much, Evan. It's been a wonderful talk. And I, I do hope we can uh, meet again to talk about military history and a variety of other things. I'd be delighted to chat again. Nick, I hope so. This was fun. Okay. Take Thanks good care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.